So we're going to um, p- continue something that was a theme that was set up actually by the leadership group that went off to Cedars Island, how long ago now? Six or seven weeks ago. And they, uh, Sarah captured the picture of, of what they talked about that's out on the foyer there of people uh, rowing in a boat. I, I want you to put in there sometime a cox. Um, if you look at the people rowing the boat, they, nobody knows where they're going at this point because there's nobody to direct them. But uh, there's a, in, in the rowing boat, they're all rowing together and uh, each oar has a different gift of the spirit or uh, quality that you wanted to take on board the boat that is Jericho Road. And you also um, identified a bunch of things that you didn't want to take on the, on, on, on the boat. And so that we've talked about faith and we've talked about hope and we've talked about um, how you wanted to, you know, faith is believing for things you don't yet see. You don't need faith for things you can see. And one of the, one of the um, challenges of Christianity is, is almost, not almost, everyone who takes Jesus seriously, who begins to want to follow Jesus, quite often comes up to the moments where they say, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I was, I was expecting. And that's when you need faith. Faith is believing for things you don't yet see that, that, you are hoping, that you are hoping for, but we're also talking about hope, and hope is believing for things that God has promised that have not yet come. And it's very easy to spend one's time uh, following Jesus or trying to be a Christian by abstracting God and just going, bless you, I love you, and faith and believing for things, and those are all very important and, uh, and then there comes this one that says love. And we can say, you know, God's love is amazing. And it is amazing. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. It's actually very encouraging and actually totally fortunate for us that God's love was expressed. I mean, imagine if it was God lo- so loved the world that he created it. And he so loved the world that he created you. And he so loved the world that he made it rain and he made the sun to shine. Have a nice life. At the end of the day, the abstraction becomes real because it says, John says, you know, the word became flesh. God so loved the world that his son came into this world, born like us but not like us in some ways. And he manifests to us what love looks like. And so God's greatest gift of love to the world is in his son and his son's greatest gift to the world is showing us the meaning of love. So we have these oars of the, of the ship that we, we're, we're rowing that is faith. We're believing for things we don't yet see. Um, we're having hope for things that God has promised and God continues to promise. And all of those promises, faith and hope, are all related to who Jesus is, who has shown himself to be. And we're getting on beautifully rowing along like that until there comes this one about love. And I might want to go, I, I think I'll stick to faith and hope. Or thank you, Jesus, for your love for me. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you that you love me so much. But this is where the invisible comes visible. And God said, I didn't send my son so that you could just know my love. 
I sent my son so the world could be changed through love. And I sent my son so the world could be changed through love by the way those who say they follow Jesus love one another. So, in the boat, when we're talking about love, he starts saying to us, so how are you rowing together? How is my love being made visible between you? And that's where the challenge of Christianity comes in. Because he didn't say, you know, remember when he, Jesus appeared in the upper room after his resurrection and he meets with his disciples. This is John 20. Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending. So I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And then he also says, as the Father has sent me, so I am going to send you. And what happens at this point is he's starting to say, you have some choices. If you forgive, forgiveness is released. If you don't forgive, it's not released. And sometimes we are saying, oh Lord, please do this, please do that. And he's actually releasing it back to us and saying, as I have loved you, love one another. As Heidi Baker says, love looks like something. So I think if I gave this sermon 25 years ago, I would focus on the negative about what we're not. I don't want to be there today. I want to be focusing on the, uh, the positive. But I, you can't have one without the other. Because Jesus didn't say to his disciples, um, well, let me read a few things that he said. He said, love one another as I have loved you. In John thirteen thirty four. And whenever you talk about this, he says, the new command I give you, love one another as I love have loved you, so you must love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. So you can't love other people if you don't know yourself to be loved, which is what Mike gave testimony to and others have given. We can all give testimony to to some degree. The thing about love is it has to be given and it also has to be received. And all of these things are great theories until you're living it and that's where the power comes in. How do we live lives that are experiencing the unconditional love of God? And you read through the whole of Jesus' testimonies with his disciples and that's a, it's a, a journey of revelation of, of a love that will not let go. A love that will not get low of disciples who do not get it, who actually go totally misuse the message. We've talked about this often. You know, James and John, let's bring down fire on the Samaritan. He says, that's not love. That's power being used in the wrong way. No, get back inside, sons of thunder. Peter, I will do this, I will do that. So, uh, Peter, you haven't even begun to understand this, but I'm, my love will not let you go, even though you let me go. And our most encouraging moments are looking at Peter and seeing how he messed up, and God still says, I'm not giving up on you. And eventually Peter crawls back wet and dripping out of Galilee after the resurrection, depressed and feeling totally totally shameful because of his inability to live out this life of love and, and, and Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's just broken. We know that story. It's so powerful. 
the woman lying in the dust, probably half naked, being caught with adultery and, and Jesus saying, I don't condemn you. The greatest words about love in the scriptures, almost, are written by a man who was the least loving, most vindictive, most religious, most zealous, most brutal, and that is Paul. If the people who lived in Paul's day could have read what he wrote, they would have said, this could not have come from him. But when Paul hit the Damascus Road and the dust of the Damascus Road and all his zealous, sincere belief was crushed because he was wrong. Have you ever been in a place where you sincerely believed things and you were wrong? Have you ever been in a place where everything you hoped would crumble? Have you ever been among Christians when that's been the reality? When what you said you believed, you couldn't live out. Today is the official day of my divorce. So I'm a pastor who's been divorced twice. And part of the reason for stepping down is that. And it's amazing. I feel very loved by God. I feel very forgiven. I feel very accepted. It's not always the same in the Christian community. You have no right to be in this position because you've been through that. And when you're going through it, you agree with that. You go, I don't have any right. But the gospel that I read gives people who don't deserve anything rights all the time. And when you've failed and you've been broken, and it might be your fault, it might not be your fault, and you have Jesus come up to you and says, I love you. And I, I know that this isn't what the script was meant to be, but I love you. And nothing has been diminished. That is good news. And the thing is, when you've been loved by that, and when you've been touched like that, when in your worst moment, and that was what Paul was going through in Damascus, and I, one of the values I have, and I've tried to impart in this church, is being authentic. For God's sake, be authentic. We've got enough religious crap. We've got enough spiritual, spiritualizing. There's got to be hope for people who mess up. There's got to be hope for people who don't get it right, like you and like me. Because some sins are very public. Others are really respectable. They're very respectable. Nobody would know. But when you have faced places where you don't deserve anything, and God meets you there and he lifts you up and he says, I don't condemn you. Which does not mean I don't, I, I'm, I'm not condoning your sin. When you've begun to taste the grace of God, it becomes very, very easy to release the grace of God to others. The religious spirit is the one that puts judgment on people. It's not difficult to be religious. It's not difficult to judge people. It's not difficult to be very disappointed in one another. You might have noticed that. It's pretty easy to be critical. It's pretty easy to find fault. It's pretty easy to withhold love because you don't deserve it and because of what you've done. 
See, what I'm segueing into as we're talking about this love of God, you see, there's nothing romantic about God's love. God's love is tough as nails. And Jesus did not say to his disciples, he didn't say to them, as he appeared to them, and even before the, the crucifixion, he didn't say, look, I've got a suggestion, it would be good if you guys got on with one another. It would be really great if you could just be nice to one another. He didn't say, look, when I'm resurrected, make sure you eat well, sleep well, brush your teeth. All those things would help. But he said, love one another. And by this, everyone will know who I am. The reason the churches aren't full is because the Christians don't love very well. There are many, many, many people who are not in church because they've been judged in church. There are many, many, many people who do not go to church because of the abuses of church. The only way to change the atmosphere and nature of Christian church and loving is to start with yourself. And to say, Lord, let me be the one who changes it. Why? Because I have experienced the unconditional love of the Father myself. And I'm learning. And so I was thrilled when Michael and Carol were sharing how they are talking about this process of helping one another grow. Because in 50 years of the churches that I've been in, it's really easy to not have process and just talk about something and see very little growth. And so as we're talking about love this morning and you put us on the oar of, your, of the boat, we want to be loving. You also said we don't want to take on the boat offense. Offense is poison to love. Offense means what? Offense means I'm withholding love from you because of. Greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for a friend. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. You go into Corinthians and Paul says love is patient, love is kind, love is this, love is that. You go, how does this man say that? After all he's done. And if Paul was here, I'm sure he would be saying, as John Wimbers said, you know, I'll take encouragement, but he gets the glory, we'll bounce back the glory to him. Paul would say, the Saul that I was is no longer the Paul that I am. But I will tell you authentically that I was a man who was vindictive and was passionately angry and was for God in all the wrong ways. And God, when I came before him, and he says, you know, Saul, you deeply offend me by the way that you treat my son and those who follow him. And Saul would say, I had nothing to say for the first time in my life. The revelation was that I'd become an angry, vindictive man trying to get God's purposes sorted out through my power and my understanding. And when I stood before God and he said to me, you're an offense to me. Do you think you've offended God? Do you think you've used everything he's given you, which is the gift of life itself? Do you think you've, you've given everything he's given you well? Do you think he might have reason to, to look at you and go, 
Jesus, Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do you think? Should we pull the plug on this one? You know the answer. Thank God the answer is, I know the answer. No, he won't. Because his son went to the cross for me. That's why those chains are up there broken. So he says, as I have loved you, love one another. Offense says no. They are not worthy of my love. They did this, they did that, they did the other. And Jesus stands next to them and says, and so, the point. I'll remind you of a few things that I've had to endure with you. Not to make us feel bad, but just to give us a reality check. That's why when Jesus appeared to the guys in the, resurre- in, 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 in the upper room, he says to them, you know, uh, a new command I give you, and it's not a new suggestion, it's a new command. He says, love one another. He doesn't say, I often say this, he doesn't say like one another. He doesn't say, I command you to like one another. You're not going to like everybody. And some people say, well, I can't love them because I feel a hypocrite because I don't really like them. You go, no, you're not a hypocrite. You're just being honest, but love them anyway. It's easy to love people you like. And God might not have liked you or me. Of course, he does because we're his creation. He doesn't like the stuff we do all the time. So love is much tougher than an emotion. It's an action. God so loved that he sent his son who went to a cross. And I always qualify this. Jesus never said, Dad, I think it's time for crucifixion. I feel like it today. He, he wept in Gethsemane as he wrestled with what love looked like. And he said, I don't want to do this. Even my disciples who I've poured my life into in the last three years, they're snoring. You want to know what abandonment and aloneness feels like? Talk to Jesus about Gethsemane. When his best friends, one of them has already betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Now these other guys are snoring while he said, can't you just wait with me for one hour? And they go, yeah, no. You ever said to God, yes, I'll do this for you, and then you're snoring within a week? And he says, why should I not be offended by you? You keep on making declarations about me, but you don't follow through. You see, one of the hallmarks of Christianity and love is humility which is self-awareness, which is actually going, I know what I'm capable of. If it wasn't for the grace of God, there would be nothing. Humility is powerful. It's beautiful. It's rooted in the just sense of but for God. Being a Christian doesn't mean, it's got nothing to do with quoting scriptures or how long you've been in church. It's entirely related to one simple question that Jesus asks and he just says, did you love him? love. So my suggestion is Lord teach me how to love but before I ask you to teach me how to love I'd really actually just pray this prayer Lord give me a greater revelation of your love for me. Somebody said this well offense you see withholds I, I, I think offense is like dead meat rotten meat. It, it attracts maggots, it attracts flies, it stinks, and we eat the st- offense. You hold on and chew offense, and you start saying, I'm offended by that, I'm offended by that. And love is completely squashed. I don't know how many times in the last five years I've heard people saying, I love you, John. It's cheap. But I've also never experienced in the last five years such betrayal and such struggle. 
in a Christian body. And I'm just being real right now. Saying I love you is quite easy, actually. Well, if you love me, why are we doing this? Jesus went to the cross for this because it was not cheap and it was not easy. And so he said to his disciples, he said, receive the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, you're just going to be religious Christians. And soon you'll be hitting each other. It would be fun to have a picture of that boat with everybody smacking each other with oars. Okay, what happened to faith and hope? John Bevere says this about offense. Those who are offended are sometimes oblivious to their condition because they are so focused on the wrong that was done to them. There are two types of offended people. Those who have been mistreated and those who think they have been mistreated but actually were not. Offenses of the heart are not dealt offenses of the heart that are not dealt with end up leading to betrayal and betrayals not dealt with end up in hatred. An offended heart is the breeding ground of deception. People don't get prayers answered because of offense. Offended Christians have never realized fully or have forgotten what they were forgiven for. Offense cuts you off from God. We separate ourselves from the pipeline. I've never seen anything block blessings from heaven except offense. That's why Jesus said, forgive one another. Forgiveness cuts off the offense. It doesn't mean what was done was right. It doesn't even validate it. It just means I'm not going to hold it. And that's a choice. Sometimes in ministry, people say, well, I don't feel forgiveness. I'm still angry. You go, you can still forgive. How do you do that? You just say, I forgive you. Well, it feels hypocritical. Well, it's hypocritical to call yourself Christian and not forgive. So you're a hypocrite either way if that's how you want to look at it. And I would tend to want to veer on the other side of I'm going to through gritted gritted teeth forgive you because Jesus commanded me to. And I'm going to trust that as I've declared that forgiveness over you, God will give me the feelings. And he does. That's what he does all the time. This is the tough love that will change the world. This is the tough love that people will look at and go, wow. You are different. Paul says, and he's in, in front of Felix in Acts, and he says this, he says, uh, he tells Felix, I've always uh, stri- striven to have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Because Paul had experienced such grace himself, because he had experienced such forgiveness because of his actions that didn't deserve forgiveness, He had absolutely made it part of his lifestyle that he would not hold offense against others. And so he, I mean, all of his letters are full of this stuff. All of his letters are full of how do you live together as Christians in a way that honors God and honors one another. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I mean, you're probably like me. I want to take offense. Sometimes it tastes like steak. It's good to chew on. And boy, do I deserve to chew on this one. But it never lasts in a way that brings life. 
Imagine when you came into church, came on the boat called Jericho Road, and one day you came in here, we all came in here, and there were these machines at the doors. And you go, what are these? They said, they're just scanners. You know, when you go onto the airline, they say, have you got any liquids? And you, you, I say, so, so we don't want to take that stuff because it's potentially dangerous on this flight. So we scan because there's security risks. Imagine if we had this invention in churches where um, when you come in, we're going to scan you for offense. And we're going to scan you for pride and for sinful thoughts. And um, if something shows up, you know, we'll pat you down. And uh, women for women, men for men, we'll pat you down. And, uh, you know, well, you better go over there and talk to the officer about that one. Have you seen, have you, seen uh, you know, the, the border security movies? They show forever on TV. People trying to get through the security lines. And then they smell this. No, no, it's just salty. He says, we'll test it for cocaine. And they put it in a little bag and it goes, oh, it's blue. Yeah, it's cocaine. Imagine if we came in and we had this stuff and we go, oh, no, no, that's just, I just was a little angry. And they go, well, let's test that. He said, no, that's, that's, that's offense. Pure, actually. This will get on the black market. Woof. I mean, this is, we haven't seen offense like this in a long time. And, and he's carrying pride and self-righteous. Where do you come from? What if it was like that? What if God did a security check right now in our hearts and said, so who's carrying a fence? This is how it works. I've shown this to you before. Let's watch this video. This is meant to be encouraging in a perverse way. Some of you are sick and you don't even know it. I think that's one of the most powerful um, scripts those guys have ever done myself. You see, it's, it's, it's trying to describe the process of love working itself out in us in order to flow through us. And I want to encourage us to not be discouraged by the things that offend and the people that offend. Because God uses all things to make us into that masterpiece that he wants us to be. And we probably said we want him to make us into. The trouble is the chisel is often in other people. And we get angry with the chisel or we get angry with other people. People have to do what they have to do. But offense is only hooked into me while I hold on to it. And it might be helpful if you're trying to deal with offense to just say, Lord, why is this rising up in me? What's going on in me? What are you showing me? Because if you're highly offended, you're not dead enough for God. And we go, oh, yes, I am. Then I says, well, why are you doing this? Oh, I'm not as dead as I thought. And he's not showing it to us so that we have to be shamed. He's showing it in us so that he can make us different. We've got too abstract. We've got too spiritual. For love to be worked out in the body of Christ, we need to allow him to work through the body of Christ which is through community, through one another, all our irritations, all our incompletenesses, all our imperfections. But instead of holding each other hostage to our imperfections, to go, Lord, work in me. Change me. And I choose not to hold offense. And I choose not to blame. And I choose not to be angry. But that's going to be a work. 
that I'm going to have to continue on all my life. Colossians, as we close, Therefore is God's chosen people, this is by the man who was so offensive, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, that seems like a decision, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. And the easy question to ask ourselves if we put ourselves through our own security checklist is, what would Jesus do? Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Don't focus on offense, focus on love. Let's stand, let's pray.